Welcome to another special episode of Fear Not, the podcast that tells us why we are afraid of all the wrong things and oblivious to what can actually kill us. This week's trending fears, well, it's all about the comedy. Stage fright has me paralyzed. Hecklers ruined my set. Are they laughing with me or at me? That and so much more coming up on Fear Not. Today is gonna be a good day. Welcome back to Fear Not. It's episode 24. I'm Alonzo Bowden, and I'm here without my podcasting partner, Dr. Barry Glasner. Barry is still on vacation, so I'm holding down the fort. Don't worry, he'll be back next week. Today's podcast is, well, it's one I can do without the master because we're talking about fears related to comedy, which is something I kind of know about. So joining me this week, one half of our crack research team. If there's only two people, is it really a team? <laughs> oh, it is. Can't we just call it our crack research duo? Ladies and gentlemen, producer, editor, extraordinaire, Adam Everest. How's it going, Alonzo? I'm excited about learning about some comedy. This week, I'm the expert, and I didn't go to college. All right, few updates. From November 11th to 17th, I'll be at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club in Las Vegas at the MGM and uh, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, I'm going to be at the Arlington Draft House just outside of D.C. in Arlington, Virginia. And keep sending in your questions and comments. We love them. On Twitter, we're at FearNotOfficial. You can always email us at FearNotOfficial at gmail.com. And while you're there, please subscribe. Real quick, I just wanted to plug again Barry on Comedy Central. He was on the Jim Jeffrey Show, and he was really funny. I think we have a clip. Barry Glasner is a sociologist who wrote a book called The Culture of Fear, Why Americans Are Afraid of the Wrong Things, and hosts a podcast called Fear Not. So after patting him down thoroughly for weapons, I asked him. What's wrong with being afraid of things? Uh, it's not good for your health. It's not good for the world. It's not good for your country. It's uh, bad in every possible way, almost. Give me a list of a few things that we're afraid of that we shouldn't be afraid of. Terrorism in the U.S. Right, but what do you mean? Is that, it, we see, we we saw it happen. 9/11. We saw you're it. much more likely to get killed or hurt in all kinds of other ways. You should be more afraid of uh, your slippery bathtub, <laughs> rickety furniture in your house. <laughs> They're much more likely to kill you. So, uh, is the furniture being put together by Muslim fundamentalists? <laughs> the f-ing Swedes have been trying to get us. It's IKEA, isn't it? <laughs> But if logic tells us we should be less worried about ISIS and shoe bombers, why do we hear so much about them? I mean, the reason is because there are all sorts of people making a lot of careers off of this. Cable TV news, social media. And the crazy thing about this is uh, this is about the safest time and the safest place in the world. So politicians do it for power, the media does it for ratings, and then there are the people doing it purely for money. The security industry, which is huge, is constantly coming up with new products. Now you can monitor your home, watch your kids from every angle on your watch. What that does is make you more fearful. Yeah, and and then when they get to 18, you don't want to see your daughter being fingered on the couch or anything. (laughs) Well, maybe you do. (laughs) We don't know each other that well. Um. (laughs) Funny stuff, right? Again, that was from Jim Jeffries on Comedy Central. You can check out the entire hilarious piece on ComedyCentral.com or you can find it on YouTube. So... All that to say, yeah, Barry, I'm doing your line. 
Let's get this thing started. Here we go. Question number one. Your stand-up has a lot of fear-based elements in it. It's partially, you know, the the why you and Barry are such a great team on this podcast and and you talk about it in your stand-up. Every day there's something new, something's gonna destroy us all, then it disappears. Swine flu. I love the swine flu. I do. I'm a huge fan of the swine flu. You know why? Because swine flu is the only disease that comes and goes depending on what else is in the news. And then they always come up with this thing. Oh my God, it's a swine flu. It's the worst disease in history. It's gonna kill us all. It's an absolute pandemic and we're all gonna die unless you uh, wash your hands. That's all I got. It's the worst thing in history unless uh, you can kiss a pig long as you wash your hands. That's not a pandemic. We used to have flus you could respect. Spanish flu, now there was a kick-ass flu. Spanish flu killed hundreds of millions of people worldwide. You know how powerful the Spanish flu was? If we were in a room full of people like this, one person, <coughs> oh shit, we're all dead. You're making fun of the fear that's out there in society, right. mm-hmm. and you're taking that fear and you're taking it from a comedic standpoint and twisting it and showing yeah. everybody how to laugh at something that people are trying to make you fear. It's always something. It's always one thing after another, and it's always the end of the world. huh? Gay marriage. I love that one. Gay marriage. Because gay marriage, you ever notice it just keeps coming back? Like every time you think we've ended the gay marriage debate, it pops up. Gay marriage is like the check engine light of the United States. <laughs> the light pops on. It's a gay marriage light. Well, fix it. It's back again. Son of a bitch. Oh, and it's always dramatic. Oh my God, gay marriage. No, you can't. If the gays get married, what about the children? You'll destroy the moral fabric of society. Oh my, really? really? No, really, is, is that the problem? Gay marriage, huh? Because my house is worth $8. You think I'm worried about gay marriage? Let me tell you something. If two gay guys want to get married and buy my house, there's going to be a wedding. I'm not waiting for the legislature. I got a gun and I'll find a preacher. Like, all right, we are gathered here today. Make this shit happen. Come on, let's go, because these boys got good credit. How do you take fear and put that into your process of stand-up? Well, it's the ridiculousness of society's fears. Mm. That's why it's funny, because Mm. these, these scares are so ridiculous right this is why me and barry hit it off they tried i make fun of it when they try to get me afraid of something that is completely stupid that is not going to happen or you got to use common sense you know like we have the fires in california right there's always the guy who had a garden hose not a tragedy when we lose garden hose guy okay Fire department comes in, they say evacuate. They have airplanes dropping chemicals. They have trucks. They have specialized equipment trying to fight this forest fire. Well, I'm okay. I got a garden hose. <laughs> yeah, well, goodbye. You don't even like, are you kidding me? You know what I mean? That's that's what I talk. So I talk about that kind of stupid. When, when you have stupid, you got to make fun of it. But I also talk about real fears in society. You know, if you're raising a black kid, fear the cops Mm. you gotta you gotta deal with that and you go into the topic of racism in in law enforcement but you use comedy to make the point question two this was an email alonzo we got from uh d in new jersey 
and D wrote to us, Hey Alonzo, my friends tell me I'm funny, but that's usually drunk at a party. I've always wanted to try stand-up, but I have terrible stage fright and can't find the courage, liquid or otherwise, to do it. How do I get over my fear? This is the only way to combat it. You have to study your material and know it backwards and forwards so that you don't have to think, mm. so that you can recite it. So what I tell new comics, just recite it over and over. Now, I'll tell you how I got over it. Um, I was working as an instructor for McDonnell Douglas. I was training new airplane mechanics because that's the business I used to be in. And I could always make them laugh because I'd tell stories about when I worked. So I wanted to be a comic. I didn't know how comics came up with material. I took a writing class. And over six weeks, we worked on five minutes. And this was the fear part. I didn't want to be the only one doing it the first time. So I figured, well, everyone in this class is doing it at the first time. On Sunday, we're supposed to do a show, the graduation show, friends, family, all of that. So it was Wednesday, and me and a buddy in the class said, man, we should go run our set, like just in the real world. Mm. So we went to a little club, and they had an open mic in the bar. And I did two jokes. And I froze. My brain completely went blank. I had no idea what else to say. <laughs> and I walked off. And then Sunday, we did the graduation show. It's maybe 200 people there. I walked off that stage with no doubt stand-up was what I was going to do. Huh. I never looked back. I said, I'm never going to work on another airplane. And that, that's how my career started. It just felt so natural. Do you remember your first joke? No, but I do remember a joke from my first routine because I did it 10 years later on Last Comic Standing, and it still worked. And I said, Neighborhood Watch. Beverly Hills invited me to a Neighborhood Watch meeting to show the neighborhood what to watch out for. <laughs> That joke lasted 10 right years. Here. Yeah, there we go. What about liquid courage? Liquid courage does not work. You do not want to be drunk on stage. You think it's a good idea. It is not a good idea. So I would advise against that. So Alonzo, fear or fear not stage fright? No, use the energy. There's a nervous energy to stage fright. Take it onto the stage. Fear not. Question number three. This question came from a tweet from at Papa McJeezy. Hey Alonzo, I've been doing stand-up for a few months, mostly at open mics. My friends make up most of the audience, but last week a stranger was heckling me and I froze up. How do you deal with idiots who interrupt your set? First of all, you're going to have to lose the name Papa McJeezy. <laughs> See, that's my first bit of advice. All right. Hecklers are assholes. And then after the show, they're like, man, I was helping you, you know, because huh. they think that because they heckle. Then I crack a joke on them and then everyone laughs and they're like, see, I made it better. No, you're not. If you don't have that instinct yet to just roast them. Pretend you have the confidence to roast them. <laughs> Seriously, you just do it. Uh, good clubs will throw the person out. They won't throw them out on the first heckle. They'll, they'll give them a couple and then they'll throw them out. One of the ways I learned to deal with hecklers was I used to go to tortillas. Tortillas was known for heckling. That's what huh. they did all through your set. I went there to learn to deal with hecklers. Interesting. Because you had to get heckled. Um, my heckle line, I tell hecklers, it's like, just remember, I do this every day. I'm going to destroy you. Not only am I going to make you feel bad, <laughs> I'm going to tag you with a name that all your friends who are with you will remind you of for the rest of your life. Do you have any good heckling or bombing stories? I was in New York. I'm doing comedy maybe a year and a half. And I was invited to do the Apollo Comedy Hour, which was a late night show 
I'm an L.A. comic, although I grew up in New York. I don't know anything about New York comics. Mm -hmm. Like, man, we'll take you here to do the, we'll run your set. They take me to a club called Manhattan Proper, 15 minutes from my house where I grew up, right? It's, huh. it's my neighborhood. Well, this is in 1994. Def Jam is the biggest thing in comedy. Black comics are coming at you raw, dirty, whatever. I'm about to go on TV. I have to work clean. I do a clean set in this club. They didn't just boo me off the stage. <laughs> they booed me out of the club onto the sidewalk. They they were like, get your ass out of there, you know. Uh, Let's just say I was a bit rattled. Right. So I go to the Apollo. The, the guy says the 32nd thing. And I remember the joke because it was like, okay, this is it. I said, man, I grew up in New York. I live in L.A. If I was a rapper, I'd have to shoot myself. <laughs> ah, the crowd loved it. They went crazy. And I was oh. like, whoo, they're mine. <laughs> and then because the thing is, when crowds are that hard on you, the opposite side is when they love you, mm. they really love you. You know, so it's it's all or, or nothing. So yeah. that that's how you learn to deal with hecklers. Do you remember who led you in? Some guy by the name of Biggie Smalls. Wow. Yeah, I'm that's not kidding. Incredible. I followed Biggie. But it was great to follow Biggie because the crowd was so hyped. This is 1994 Biggie. The crowd was out of their minds. So it was like I was I was definitely riding that, you know, wow. coming in. Yeah. So for Papa McJeezy, hecklers, fear or fear not? Fear not. Even if you are afraid, never let them see you sweat. Here we go, Q4. The next comedy fear comes from the wolf on Instagram. He DM'd us at our account. What do you do if nobody laughs at your jokes? Does it mean I'm not funny? Or are they laughing on the inside? Or am I just bombing? Oh, you're bombing. <laughs> <laughs> so if, there, if there's no sound, you're bombing. Yes, there is no laugh on the inside. Here's one of the things about that. And this is kind of a generational thing, right? Two different schools of comedy. So when you start out, especially when you start out, there's one school that says... The audience should be supportive mm. and they should should let you work on stuff and this and that. And the other school, the school I went to is you get your ass up there and you be funny. And if you bomb, you work harder and be funnier. Right. I remember doing a set. I had gone to the Black Expo and they were selling caskets and their their slogan was basically don't die with the white man. <laughs> you know, point being that you should buy your casket from a black owned company. And to me, that was the funniest shit in the world, because at that point, I think I don't care. <laughs> so I went up that night at a black comedy club and I'm making fun of this and it is going nowhere. They they hmm. did not like me making fun of things because there were a few other booths at the Black Expo. Huh. They did not like it. It was bombing horribly. <laughs> and all I could remember was, man, come on, clock, come on. Because, you know, you have like five minutes or seven minutes mm -hmm. and the red light comes on and you're just like, where's that red light? Where's that red light? Bail <laughs> me out. I'm dying here, you know? Yeah, you're going to bomb. Uh, the difference is with time, you bomb jokes, not sets. Mm. So early on, I'd bomb in a set. Now I'll bomb with a joke. And sometimes it's funny to me because I'm like, how could I be that wrong? I had a, <laughs> I, I should know what's funny. They say give a joke three times before you give up on it. Sometimes I'll leave an idea alone and it'll, it'll be a year. Mm. And then it'll pop into my head and I'll do it again and make it funny. So crickets instead of laughs, fear or fear not? Don't embrace it and don't shoot for it. But when it happens, learn from it. Fear not. Question five. Matt in New York wants to know, 
What if I forget my jokes on stage? I've seen some comedians bring notes or just use their phone. Is that okay if I'm still working out my jokes? No. Really? No. Well, I'll say no with a few caveats, okay? And 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 something that bothers me, a pet peeve. So when the alternative movement was big, they'd have a music stand on stage and they'd put their notes on the music stand. And I was like, if you're all doing it, by definition, it is not alternative. <laughs> Carlin would have index cards and he'd have a desk on the stage and he'd have the cards taped to the desk so you couldn't see it from the audience but he could see it the reason carlin did that because every year on hbo he did a new hour Mm. if you get to the point that you can write an hbo level hour every year then use (laughs) notes all right but if you're doing a show okay if you're doing a real show people paid to come watch you work Mm -hmm. have enough respect for them to learn your material have enough respect for them to do it. It's lazy to not know your set. Also, it is very distracting to read on stage mm. because you're not going to glance at it and know right where you are. You're going to have to like kind of read up and down like, oh, okay, I'm at this part and I should, yeah, it, it's unprofessional. But what if for some reason you just totally space, what do you do in that situation? Figure out a way to get out of it. That's so, part of the lesson. You may have to riff. You may have to say, I completely forgot what I said. And be honest with the crowd. If you do that, the crowd's going to laugh and be like, Mm. oh, that's funny or whatever. Yeah, get out of it. Listen, you learn how to get out of awkward situations by getting into them. But another thing is, if you're a new comic, you're doing three-minute sets, five-minute sets, if Mm. you're lucky, a seven-minute set. Don't take that long to memorize seven minutes. Get off your ass. Memorize it. You got nothing else to do. (laughs) It's your job. All right, Alonzo, using cheat sheets, fear or fear not? Don't fear it, just don't do it. Question six. This one comes from Ryan in D.C. What if I offend someone with my stand-up? It's never been harder to do comedy because we live in a society where people come to the show looking to be offended. Mm. Bill Maher did a great rant a few weeks ago about you're not allowed to be more offended than the group that was insulted. And finally, new rule, white liberals have to start listening to me when I tell them you can't be more offended than the victim. (laughs) It happened again last week when presidential contender Andrew Yang faced criticism because he said that SNL should not have fired comedian Shane Gillis over racist comments Gillis made about Asians. That's when the Internet did what it does best and deemed Yang a racist for... for not being offended. Because if he wasn't offended, well, someone had to be. Right, some people are so, so, I don't know, liberal or PC, they're offended on your behalf, uh. you know? And, and no, you can't. And, and I, do, I do a bit about it. It's called trigger words, right? So the word nigger is a trigger word. People, oh my God. I said, well, how is it used? Because if it's five brothers on the basketball court, <laughs> talking shit like that nigga's crazy nobody got hurt that's not offensive that that's just how they talk they're right. having a good time if it's five white guys at the bank looking at a loan application that nigga's crazy well now we got a lawsuit you see so, so how was the <laughs> word used yeah this is my thing and i've always said the audience is like a dog okay a dog can sense what's behind you dogs know good people nice people bad people dog, you know they do somehow mm-hmm. The audience knows it too. So if you make a joke, if you insult somebody, like when Michael Richards called the guy in the crowd a nigger, right? The audience froze because they knew he meant it. That's why it 
stopped his comedy career right there because the audience was like, yo, man, that's not cool. That you know, And I've heard the thing of, oh, well, how come black people can make fun of white people? White people can't make fun of black people. Well, they can when it's funny. Right. Bill Burr has some hilarious material about stuff that black people do. Mm. And you laugh because you can tell he's just making an observation. He's not being racist about it. Actually, I got a couple of uh, friends of uh, African persuasion. And uh, I got to get rid of them, man. I got to admit to you. I'm fine. I'm spending too much money on clothes hanging out with them. Because I got to, like, try to keep up with their wardrobe. It's like every time they go out, they got all brand new shit on. All brand new shit. So when I show up with my white version of brand new, which is, you know, I basically, I ironed the shit, right? I ironed it, right? It's new. They just start trashing me. I can't keep up with them, man. They got like 58 pairs of sneakers. Ever notice that shit? Like every color fucking Timberland. And I don't give a shit what fucked up color their shirt is. They got a pair of shoes to match it and a hat. The group in power generally can't make fun of the group with no power, mm. generally. But if you make it funny, it's okay. You do have to know your crowd. And in a sense, like, if you're in a comedy club, anything goes. If I'm if I'm hired to do, you know, a, a, a corporate party for, for the people at General Motors, I'm not doing the club act. You know, the other night I did this show. It was a show for a um, charity raising, raising money, great charity. I'm not going to go in on a whole bunch of political stuff about Trump. I may make a joke about it, but, you know, not it's not going to be the same as when I'm in a club because mm-hmm. I'm hired to do this and, and I'm working in the parameters of what they want. People talk about colleges. This was a big thing with colleges, right? When Seinfeld said, I'm not doing colleges because they're too politically correct. I don't know this firsthand, but I find it very believable that a university hired Joe Rogan and they told Joe not to curse. (laughs) And Joe walked out there and dropped an F-bomb right away. Well, you hired Joe Rogan. Right. You should have known who you hired going in. There was one time, I think I did a joke about Greenland or something, and somebody was like it was offensive to, to, to Inuit Eskimo people. And I was like, yeah, well... I ain't got a lot of them on my family. You know, like, so someone can always, if you're looking to be offended, someone can be offended. Do not go to a comedy club looking to be offended because if it's a good show, you will be. Bring your sense of humor and keep in mind that when we're on stage, we're trying for a joke. Someone said that, you know, if 20% of the audience isn't mad, you ain't doing your job. I think 20 percent's a little high, but 10% of them are going to be mad. Trump people, oh my, you talk about easy to offend. My <laughs> God, they, they, they whine like bitches. Any joke, they really, they do. They're just angry people. And it's like, don't come to a comedy show. If you're a Trump supporter, check and make sure that comic is also a Trump supporter. Don't come to the show because to us, he's a clown. I have tattoos of jesters because the jester was the only one who could speak truth to power. Mm. But if he didn't make it funny, the king would chop off his head. (laughs) I love that. I think that's where the stakes Mm. should be. Maybe not chopping off heads. Maybe (laughs) not the first time you bomb. Comics speak truth to power. Mm. It's bad when you forget to make it funny because now you're preaching. But as long as you can make it funny, then it works. The only time I get tired of doing topical comedy is the fact our society doesn't move forward. 
So we still have to do jokes about racism and we still have to do jokes about homophobia and we still have no health care plan. Mm-hmm. Like I can still do my health care jokes. Kind of wish we had solved this. <laughs> I wish I didn't have health care material anymore, but I do because we can't move forward as a society. The underlying anger comics have with society is we're better than this. Why are we still stuck on who you sleep with? Why are we still stuck on the color of your skin? Why does, you know, 1% have half the wealth in this country? Comics get mad about this and talk about this because we know as a society we can do better. Can we get our shit together? (laughs) Thus endeth the rant. Closing time. Open all the doors and let you out into the world. I feel like I am fully ready to do stand-up. I've got the notes. I've got everything I need to know now. Take a shot. You, you never know until you do it. Got to memorize that tight five. You five. never know. Like I said, when I did it, <laughs> I never had any doubt from the moment I did it. But right. you really never know until you do it. And one of the things that um, a friend told me that was a great piece of advice when I was thinking about doing comedy, I was 30 years old. And I said, man, I'm kind of old to start. And she said, well, 10 years from now, you can either have been a comic for 10 years or you can be 40 years old and wondering if you're too old to start. Mm. But you, Adam, are actually too old to start, so you should probably <laughs> leave it alone. I'm kidding. All right, put it up on the shelf. Picking up on, picking on a millennial. Now he'll cry. <laughs> that is, listen, you've heard enough out of me. Barry's going to be back. We're going to get back on topic. But this was fun. I hope you liked it. Thank you and good night. Today is going to be a good day. Don't care what anybody else says. If you like what you heard, hell, even if you hated what you heard, hit the subscribe button and tune in every week. Give us a five-star review to help us rise on the charts. And as always, if you hear news stories that make your hair stand on end or they sound like someone is trying to fill you with fear, send them to us at fearnotofficial.com or tweet us at fearnotofficial. And we'll see if we can uh, find the truth. Let us know what you're scared of. Fear Not is a Stone & Company entertainment production hosted by Alonzo Bowden and Dr. Barry Glasner. Executive produced by Scott A. Stone. Produced and edited by Adam Everest. Written by Scott A. Stone, Barry Glasner, and Adam Everest. Alonzo writes stuff too. Don't believe him. Our sound engineer is Tim Moore. Legal Beagles, Loeb & Loeb. Crack accountants are 10-key accounting. Special thanks to Gary Brown, Betsy Amster, and Adam's imaginary girlfriend.